This was the morning series, and I'm wrapping it up tonight. Understanding union with Christ and why it isn't just religious pretending. The, 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 the whole thesis of this series, and there are five messages, and I can't review them all tonight. This is just the last one. But the whole idea behind this message is that the blessings that the church so frequently talks about, justification, forgiveness, sanctification, being children of God, that's what we're looking at tonight, that these are not blessings that Jesus dispenses to us externally from himself. So I sin and I need forgiveness and I come to Jesus and he says, here you go, Don, here's, here's some forgiveness for you. And Jesus is here and I'm there and he gives me forgiveness. And I take it and I say, thank you very much, I needed that and off I go. That everything we receive from Christ comes from our union with Christ, being one with Christ. We are forgiven as we are in Christ. In other words, as the branch abides in the vine, one of the things that flows from the vine into the branch is the benefits of Christ's atoning work. Forgiveness, grace, mercy. So that I can't just take forgiveness as I need it and then off I go and live my life and I'll come back to Jesus when I need more forgiveness. I know we all know that, but you'd be amazed at the scores of Christian people that treat forgiveness that way, that basically... I self-direct my life and I go back to Jesus when I need some forgiveness from him. So the idea is all these come from being in Christ Jesus. Tonight the topic is sons and daughters of God. Living life out of the reality of our adoption in God the Son. Uh, a few Sunday nights ago, Rini could tell you exactly how many, I can't. Spatial relations don't work well for me. Everything that happened is somewhere around three weeks ago. We were at home, and we were uh, after church, and we were watching Oprah. Uh, that show she has, uh, I forget the name of it, but she kind of interviews famous people. It's not the old talk show that she had. It's a current running show. And we were watching Oprah interview a very prominent Hillsong pastor. And it was all pleasant enough. And sooner or later, you could see it coming. I felt for this guy because you could see the inevitable Oprah question was going to be coming, and it did. This pastor was talking about all that we have in Christ Jesus and the blessings of knowing the Lord and, and the eternal life that we have in him. And Oprah said, is this only for Christians? Is it just Christians who can know God like this? And there it was. And suddenly this poor pastor was under pressure and he did the inclusive dance and tried to scramble around the issue as best he could because intolerant is not a word that fits well on the pastor of Justin Bieber. No, he said. God is into the whole world. I'm not totally sure what that meant. 
but it seemed to satisfy Oprah, it did the trick. He won the approving smile of the cosmic, soul-embracing Oprah. And, and the exam was over, and apparently he had passed. God is, no, 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 it's not just for Christians. God is into the whole world. Then Oprah specifically said her favorite verse in the Bible was, in God we live and move and have our being, which suits her thinking very well. And that, of course, is one of the very few verses in the Bible that doesn't have any scriptural endorsement at all. Paul is merely quoting a pagan poet to these idolaters. And that's the verse that Oprah settled on as her favorite verse. The one verse that doesn't come from any of the apostles at all. But the verse works well for Oprah and anyone else desiring to believe that we are all, regardless of religious convictions or atheistic convictions or pantheistic convictions or polytheistic convictions, we are all, if we only knew it, caught up in the same inclusive, loving embrace of our Creator. We are all God's children. All of those who pursue their own moral compass, those true to their inner selves, the light inside each one of us, those reaching out to help others in love, they are all, according to Oprah, and I think this pastor, at least under pressure, all God's children. And there was that, there was that ever so popular label again. God's children. Children of God. With the exception, perhaps, of a few angry atheists that we've studied in this series, it's the most popular name tag in the whole world. You will, you will just never make an enemy pushing that concept. We're all the same. No intolerance here. No, sir. We're all God's children. And then we all stand in a circle and sing Kumbaya or John Lennon's Imagine... And everybody's happy. And the question tonight is, how does this work? Is that New Testament Christianity? Can you squeeze that into the Bible? Are children of God formed by creation? By that I mean, are we children of God just because we were all created by God? Are we children of God just as a result of being born into this world? Are we children of God in the same way that we are human beings, all of us? So being human equals being children of God, like tomato, tomato. Or is it just nice people who are God's children and Bad people, not, not so much. And if that's the case, who gets to decide who's in and who's out? How good to qualify, how bad to be disallowed? Well, fortunately for all of us, this is not a subject about which the New Testament doesn't speak in abundance. 
And perhaps at no point is this doctrine we've been studying of union with Christ more relevant, more to the point, than when we start talking about being children of God and how we are so and how it works and who's in and who's out. That's what we're going to study in the next little while. Okay? Okay. Point number one. Being children of God isn't a product of original creation and isn't a gift given externally apart from God the Son. So, just as I said in the introduction, just as God doesn't just dole out forgiveness like a divine Christmas present, so adoption as children is only found in union with Christ. In other words, adoption as children of God isn't some kind of separate blessing that we have by right, that we have just because God created us originally. You can't be children of God apart from union with Jesus Christ, God the Son. John 1, 12 and 13. Do you have that in your notes? So the answer is no, you don't have it in your notes. How about I read it to you? John 1, 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, listen, he gave the right to become children of God. Is that fairly clear? Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. This is, this is the apostle's way as he records these words. This is, this is the way John's gospel would have us know. This is not something that comes from being physically born. You don't get this because you have a human body. People born not, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. Who then? Well, to all who did receive him, speaking of God the Son, Jesus Christ, who believed in him, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I would have said, Oprah, there's a good verse if you want to make your favorite. And so you note the way John is careful to distinguish between our physical birth, born of blood, the will of the flesh, the will of man. He distinguishes this from our adoption as children of God. He gave the right to become children of God. So, so we see right away spiritual adoption as God's children is not a product of original creation. It isn't what we originally are. It's what we must become in Christ. We are God's creatures by creation to be sure. But we are not by creation his children. Creatures of God are what we are made. Children of God is what we are urged to become. Galatians 3.26 For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God, daughters of God, through faith. So the text makes it clear only as we are in Christ Jesus are we God's children. Just as forgiveness and redemption 
and justification, just as those things aren't offered externally from God the Son, so our adoption as God's children doesn't exist apart from our being in Christ Jesus. You and I are adopted. That's our status. Adopted children of God. And that comes from being united with God's one and only eternal Son, Jesus Christ. His natural, eternal sonship is the source of our adopted sonship. Ephesians 1, 5, and 6. He, Father God, predestined us as adopt, for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved, in the beloved, in Christ Jesus. Leads to the next point I want to make. Point number two. Humanity's natural fallen condition isn't one of adoption into God's family, but alienation from God. If you want to see that, it's in Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. Paul writes to these Christians, but he talks about what they were before being adopted as children of God. And he says, Ephesians 2, 1... And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, listen to this, in the sons of disobedience, literally children, the children of disobedience. That's what we were. If you want to talk about what we were by creation and fall, we were all children of disobedience. There's more. Galatians 4, 4 to 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Singular. His one and only son. John three sixteen. God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So there's this progression in those two texts. The way they describe our natural standing before God... As creatures outside of Christ, Paul says we are literally children of disobedience. Not children of God, children of disobedience. The offspring of disobedience is a literal Greek interpretation. So these, for all of us outside of Christ, these are our natural fallen family roots. This is not only different from being God's children, it's the opposite of being children of God. There are other places we've looked at them where Paul describes our natural created condition in very different terms. He says, not only were we not children, we were enemies. Romans 5.10, for if while we were enemies, 
we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? This is one of those wonderful texts where Paul reminds us we're no longer what we once were. We are no longer enemies of God. And then, without ever actually using in this text the term adoption, he, he presses home the same idea with another, another image, saying that we, are, we were enemies, but now we're reconciled. We're no longer enemies. And this change, he says, this change in relationships comes from being in God the Son. How much more will we be saved by His, the Son's, life? It's more than just forgiveness. It's more than just forgiveness. Our union with Christ, being in Christ, that's, that's the place, that's the means. Being in Christ, being in the Son, is how we receive the adoption as sons and daughters of God. You can't get it anywhere else. See, you, you can't get this from Mohammed. You can't get this from Moses. You can't get this from any other religious leader. Only God the Son can unite your, you and me to him so that we become children of God, adopted in the Son. Paul says, I'm still being saved in that love because I'm still in Christ Jesus. He's still the man, Christ Jesus, carrying the incarnate flesh to the right hand of the Father. I'm still united with him. I'm being saved by that right now. That's my hope. Three. Now we come to the best news of all. The most precious fruit from my oneness with God, the Son, isn't just forgiveness. That's precious, but there's something so much better. It's the bestowal of the same love as the Father has for the Son. That's what it means to be children of God. This is holy ground. I wouldn't dare repeat something this grand if the New Testament didn't insist on it. It's, it's simply staggering. Jesus is praying in John chapter 17. And praise God that we have these words recorded somehow. It seems like Jesus was a distance from his disciples. And the only reason we have the words that he spoke to the Father are Jesus somewhere along the way. We don't know where. It's not recorded. He must have told John, Here, here's what I said. Because they weren't with him. He was alone. So there's something in these words that Jesus wanted you to hear. And so Jesus is praying. John 17, 20. I do not ask for these only. Those are his followers there. But also for those who will believe in me through their word. They're going to preach and share and teach and people will come to Christ. That's you, right? That's me. But for all those who will believe in me through their word... Now, you didn't hear John preach, but somebody gave you the message, right? Somebody gave you the message, and you believed. And Jesus says, I'm covering you in, in this prayer. That they may all be one. And that's not just group hug language, that they'll be nice to each other. That's not what this means. That they may all be one... Just as you, Father, are in me 
and I in you, that they also may be in us. You see the linking up? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know, listen, here it is, that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Did you get it? God, Father, not just praying for these disciples here, I'm praying for all who will believe through their words. And we dare look at this. Jesus says, I pray that they'll know that you love them. Don Horvath. Ron Dyer. I pray that they know that, Father, you love them just as much as you love me, Jesus said. How much does Jesus care about you? How much does he love you? Jesus says, here's how much. He loves you, Jesus says, as much as he loves me. That ought to make everybody just say, okay, quit the preaching right now. Let's just fall on our face and cry out praise and thanksgiving to that kind of love. Why could he say that? Because, because we are in Christ. We're in there. Like, remember the end of last week, like, like the milk is in the tea. You can't separate it once it's in there. We are in Christ. And the Father loves the Son dearly. But I'm right there in Him. And the love that He has for the Son is the same love that He has for me. Why? Because Don Horbin is in Christ Jesus. That's what makes Don Horbin a child of God. And He loves me like He loves His eternal Son, Jesus Christ. Christ. And you start to see why there's no other religion on the planet that can give this. It's an absolutely unique feature of the Christian message. This is the reality of adoption in God the Son. We are brought into the same love with God the Father. It doesn't happen because the creation account in Genesis 1. And it doesn't happen because I give money to the poor. And it doesn't happen by trying to get in touch with the divinity in my own heart. Let it be said loud and clear. Adoption as children of God happens in the one and only place it can possibly happen in all the universe. It only happens being one with the incarnate God the Son. In the presence of the Father. There are no other places to connect with God. This world needs to know that. There are no other places to connect with God. Don't look into the murkiness of your inner feelings. Look to Jesus. God the Son. 
One more point. We're almost done. Point number four. Our adoption in God the Son is both a present reality and a future hope. Let me read you two texts. One will talk about the present reality and the other will talk more about the future hope. Romans 8, 15 to 17. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God. Fellow heirs with Christ. Of course, because we are in Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified in him. Here's the next text. Same chapter of Romans. Jumping down to verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Watch the news. It's labor pains, the whole thing. And not only the creation, we ourselves. So the creation, the, I mean, earthquakes, tsunamis, floods, hurricanes, tornadoes, sickness, cancer, tumors. But we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for the adoption as sons. Well, which is it, Pastor? Now, I thought you just started talking about what we have in Christ, that God loves us just like he loves the Son, because we are in the Son. That's right. That's right. And that's a present reality, and it gives us hope. We're also waiting for our adoption. John says, we are children of God. We are. That's what we are, he says. And when we see him, he says, we're going to be just like him. The present reality is there. It's true. We sang it. The same power lives in us. But if you just walk away from that thinking, well, great, then we'll, we'll never be sick and we'll never die and we'll leap tall buildings and there won't be any problems because the same power lives in us. No, 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 no. The first fruits live in us. And we eagerly await. We await the adoption as sons and daughters. And strangely, John says it'll be... It'll be when we see him. I talked with my Christian ed class this morning about questions you need to ask yourself when you read the scriptures. And there's just a classic example. Because when I read that, John says that is what we are. Behold, what love he has, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. He doesn't take one ounce away from it. But we're not exactly like Jesus yet. He says, when we see Jesus, we're going to be just like him. And have you ever stopped and asked yourself, what, what, what is it about that moment? 
Like all the Bible reading and praying and going to church and devotions and serving Jesus, uh, it didn't make me exactly like Jesus. Not completely. I'm growing, but it didn't get me there. And then John says, just that moment, bang, we will see him and we will be just like him right then. And you say, okay, so, so what, what is it about that? He, he ties it to seeing his face. Read it. I'm not making it up. I'll tell you what it'll be, I think. This is my opinion. John doesn't say. But he would have said if he had thought of this. <laughs> I'm just kidding, okay? Don't. I believe that when I see Jesus face to face, here, right now, I mean, I want to serve him. I really do. And I want to be like him. And like you, there are other things that I have to do and other things that I have to think about and there are other things that claw at my attention. Does that happen to anybody else? And, and John says, when, we, when all of the faith becomes sight, we have a hard, we sing songs, and we can't imagine what's going to happen. When I see Jesus face to face, something so dramatic, I'm going to suddenly, suddenly realize everything else that I was thinking about is useless. And the kind of renouncing of all that that I try to do now, to the best of my ability, it will just fall away then. Like, like so much trivia. So we're called to live out of this adoption. We're children of God, adopted sons and daughters of God, and, and we're called to live out of that now. I, I, every once in a while, church this size, there'll be a, a couple, and they will adopt. Sometimes they adopt a, not a baby, but an older child. And it's a great tragedy when, when parents adopt a child and bring him into the family, and the name changes. But for some reason, that child continues to live out of whatever broken past he or she came out of. You know what I'm talking about? And the child doesn't latch on. It gets the new name. But what those parents want isn't just for the child to have their last name. What those parents want is that child to not live out of whatever the past was. They want that child to live out of the present family union that they have now. And that's us. All of God's adopted sons and daughters... And he doesn't want us just going around with the label Christians. He wants us living our lives out of this, this new identity. Children of God. And that is what we are. And everyone said, let's pray. <laughs>